Hello and welcome to Under the Skin. You're listening to me, Russell Brand. This week I spoke to Nick Ortner. Nick Ortner is my friend and he has designed a technique called the tapping solution. But let's see what Jenny Mae Finn's oh, come up no. with for a script. Nick is CEO of the <laughs> tapping solution. Oh, he's a CEO. Yeah. Yeah. You're happy with that? <laughs> yeah. We're talking to CEOs now? He, the CEO <laughs> of the Tapping Solution and creator of the Tapping Solution app, books and events. He's written like children's books. He's written adults' books. He tappity tap taps you right out of your anxiety. Now, me and Demaya, we use the technique, don't we, Demaya? Yeah. And what's it helped you with? Oh, anger, anxiety. You get angry, you get anxious? Sometimes, yeah, my sadness masks itself as anger. That's a person who's done work on themselves. Now, let's look at Annabelle and Jen. Do you use the tan Tapping Solution? No. <laughs> <laughs> a sharp no from Jen. And a hand over the How face. How am I supposed to do all these things? When, maybe when you're idling about, getting your I hair cut into a fringe. Twice. Or wearing a new silken <laughs> shirt like LV68 comeback special black. Instead of that, you could be tapping yourself out of your numerous mental illnesses. Now, I'm, I'm tap, tap, tapping away. And as you can see... There's clearly a divide in the work between <laughs> your colleagues. Between the sensitive progressives what? and the stick in the mud. I, I'd call them... I don't know how to... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to describe you anymore. But um, <laughs> listen, for Nick has kindly get, uh, offered a 50% uh, redu reduction for anyone who goes to the tappingsolution.com forward slash Russell. Plus you get loads of them free anyway, whoever you are and whether you use forward slash Russell or not. But you've got to check it out. Like uh, tapping is a natural healing method, also known as the emotional freedom technique. It is a healing modality that combines ancient Chinese acupressure and modern psychology. So uh, go and download the app for God's sake now. You can get it at, you know, App Store or Google Play or whatever. What are you doing for your mental health? So you had a little meditate, had yeah. you, Jen? How did it go? It was okay. Where'd you do it? I sat in front of the giant window that looks out in the sea. Yeah. And then my sister got me a meditation cushion, you know, with the little round one on top of the big square. I didn't even know what that is. You know that we can get a big square and then you can get a little round one. Sounds <laughs> like a bag of revels. A little round one and a square. You know, there's a regular cushion, it's a square shape. Okay. And, and it's then got there's a, round a little one on round it. one that you sit on top of. Like a little uh, pepperoni sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> that you see in like holy places. Oh, yeah, holy places. That's right, Jen. Well, thanks for doing so much research. <laughs> I'm more my, my own life. <laughs> on holy cushions, Jen. <laughs> on the cushions of the holy. Nick Ortner has come up with a goddamn tapping solution <laughs> and you're sat on your ass on a bagel expecting <laughs> the world to change. Well, it ain't going to happen, kid. But you told me to meditate. Well, yeah, you've got to meditate as well. You've got to do all these things. All of us have. We've got to change. If we're going to create a better world, and I've promised that we will by Tuesday, then we've got to use all these various techniques, haven't we? Okay, so we'll listen to Nick Ortner in a minute. It's a beautiful conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Nick's helped me a lot in my own life with my various innumerable uh, neuroses, and he continues to help me. So let's um, we'll enjoy that conversation. He demos the technique, and he talks about its origins and some of the uh, some its application to some degree, and it's bloody good. These comments are from the Edith Eager episode. Moya09 says, Why do you continue to employ that Jenny Mayfin? She ain't no good. You are a good guy. Why don't you give her the old tin tack, the Spanish archer, what? the old heave-ho, the sack? 
Oh, that's interesting inquiries, Moya. It seems that the listeners are beginning to pick up, Jen, on your many all-too-evident <laughs> inadequacies. Oh. No? No, loads of adequacies. <laughs> <laughs> You've got adequacy coming out your ears. Uh, no, actually, what Moya09 says is, unity is nice to say, but impossible to implement. There will always be people that are going to feel a certain way. The idea is to strengthen democracy, including free speech. What's happening right now is a total opposite, especially concerning free speech. Moya, we will not impede your free speech. There is your comment completely included, and I agree. We need a strong dem democracy, and I think you can't have real democracy without significant decentralization. Tallulah Sunflower says, What a beautiful gift. I hear this lesson from someone who stands in a unique position in world history. Thank you. I felt privileged to hear her. She's an elder. She's a magnificent communicator, and I don't know whether we included it in the podcast or not, but by the end, she was like, showing me pictures of her grandkids and all that. I mean, that was less beautiful. A great grandkid. She was just turned into a proper nan by the end of it. It was absolutely mental. Krista McCarthy Yoga says, Dr. Edith is not only an amazing woman, she's a hero of the heart. I read a book, The Choice, last January, right before COVID exploded in North America and Europe. Her level of depth, compassion and understanding is humbling and her words resonate so clearly. I see her as a true inspiration and what she has to say is a gift to everyone. I couldn't agree more heartily. If only some of the people here could draw from that great deep well of wisdom and experience instead of being like a little hermit crab in a tiny little shell that they stole from someone else. Bigger shells. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little shell capitalist, aren't you? Oh. Ask Me Anything. We're doing a new podcast, as you know, called Ask Me Anything, where essentially you interview me, exclamation mark. We'd love to hear from you. To get involved, simply go over to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything and record a voice message with your question. Give us an example. What kind of question could they ask, Jen? Why haven't you shaved your beard off yet? I might shave it off. I oh, was I was gonna. I was yeah. gonna do it the other day. My little kid was in their peg, and I thought, let her shave it off. And I was gonna do it, and then like she wandered off, and I started to get scared. Why? Because in case, like my friend Matt said, if it looks like when Darth Vader took no, his but head that's went out the mustache. The mustache is basically <laughs> just a, a lip scribble. How's that no, going to protect not. me you from looking after Darth? I was looking at it the other day when I was looking. Perhaps I was on a like you know a phone call or whatever. I was looking, I think it's pretty thick, so... Where would you take it down to? Below the lower lip? No. Just Not, above. Is, just just that, above. like where the lips meet. Where the lips meet. Now, who <laughs> has this type of moustache that you're Those asking? Those people have it. Give us an example. Burt Reynolds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Who else? Here's what, uh, maybe... Yeah. Clark Gable? <laughs> Great people have that moustache. Johnny Depp? Yeah, here's the little soul patch underneath too. You could do the. I don't know about the musketeer beard, Jen. <laughs> no. I think it would be great. Use your jaw while you have it. I'm not going to lose the jaw. Jaw's going nowhere. My concern is, like a long-haired man with a moustache. Yeah. Isn't that an odd sight? No, it's the best sight. What if I look like Coach? It's my favourite sight. Is it? Yeah. A long-haired man with a moustache. Yeah. All right. I know, Annabelle, you've got nothing nice to say. <laughs> I can tell from looking at you. Um, Demaya, you say leave the beard. I think that... <laughs> Sorry. I actually have no comment. Well, thank you all for uh, indulging me and even bringing it up. It wasn't me that brought it up. Let's remember it, it was Jenny that brought it up. 
It'll it's come not back. like you shave it and then you have to go buy a new beard if you don't <laughs> like it. Okay, I'm going to shave it. I will do it, but then when I'm doing videos and yeah. I'm sat there like a little mustachio pistachio, if I'm laughed at and ridiculed, if there are negative comments, I'll I want to be fed them. I'll finally compliment you. I'll huh? give you a compliment. What will you say? Nice face. <laughs> nice face, that's it. A nice jaw. You could train wow. a monkey to point to that on a board. You yeah. expect better from a human. Really? Like what? Well, more like, wow, my God, oh, this really brought out a light or something. Jaw. All right, a monkey couldn't point to that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. We're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. So we're getting somewhere great. Okay, I'm going to consider it. I'm going to. I'm seriously considering it. Let's listen now <laughs> to our friend and uh, inventor or CEO, as Jenny would have it, of the Tapping Solution, <laughs> Nick Ortner, a brilliant leader and a kind and beautiful man. Let's hear more about this Tapping Solution technique and how it can help you. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Nick Ortner, my new friend and now guest on Under the Skin, thanks for joining us. Russell, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well because uh, I've not said before, but you've been uh, like helping me lately with like anxiety-based issues uh, through your technique, the tapping solution, which you have an app, uh, which there is an app by the same name. Could you tell us what the tapping solution is? Yes, indeed, sir. So the tapping solution or EFT is another name for it, emotional freedom technique. Uh, we call it tapping because we are literally physically tapping on endpoints of meridians of our body. So if you're listening on the podcast, what I'm doing right now is actually applying physical pressure to these endpoints of meridians on the body. And what the latest research shows is that when we do this while focused on the stress, the anxiety, the fearful thought, whatever's going on in our lives that's keeping us stuck, we send a calming signal to the amygdala in the brain. We help the brain and the body relax. And it's a technique that, I mean, I, I wake up almost every morning going, wait, I teach what? And why are we tapping exactly? And uh, it takes people a second to go, wait, what are we doing? But as I know you've experienced deeply, it is a profound, profound technique to shift our body and our brain. I suppose it's comparable, at least loosely, to something like EDMR in that it's a sort of a physical thing that has an impact on helping you to sort of shift negative emotions 100 i would call them cousins a lot of people use emdr and tapping at the same time a lot of therapists do it the main difference is that emdr is harder to do on yourself i think there's some new things coming out now where you can but tapping is a tool that a lot of therapists use but then they'll say hey do the tapping in the office with me and go take it at home go use the app go do it when you wake up at two in the morning with a panic attack go do it when you're in these states where you're not resourceful and to me, that's one of the most exciting parts of it, that it lets us take our power back. You know, we walk around most days thinking the world happens to us or a lot, at least a lot of us do. The world happens to us. Oh, I'm angry because that person said that to me. I'm anxious because I'm an anxious person. I'm anxious because there are things to be anxious about. I'm fearful because there's things to be afraid about. And certainly this doesn't change reality. The world is what it is. And there are things that can feel dangerous and anxiety provoking. But the question is, can we 
change that state? Can we change that response? Can we change our nervous system to be different from what it was before? And I think tapping is a tool to be able to do that. The way I'm trying to understand it somewhat at least is you know i'm a person that's always uh, uh, since i've known of it liked acupuncture and that i understand oh, okay there are energy meridians running through the body that can be redirected harmonized utilized to to a therapeutic or uh, medical end like is that what tapping's doing i mean how do you rationalize or even explain how tapping on like you know the side of the hand the uh, uh the corners of the eyes under the eyebrows under underneath the eyes side of the eyes under the nose between the chin and bottom lip collar and collarbones then top of the head how would that why would that change a person's emotional state is there scientific evidence that there is even a thing called meridians at all these points yeah, no, great question. There is, um, you can actually, there's a little tool called a galvanometer and it measures elect electrical resistance. And you could take that and move it around the eye until you hit this point. And you'll see that this point underneath the eye is a point where that conducts more electricity. So we don't often think of ourselves as electrical beings. We're at least in this current state, we're very biologically based, right? We think we eat things, it does stuff. We take pills, it does stuff. But the reality is that we are full of electricity. I mean, when we think more of our, about our brain, people tend to connect more with electricity in the brain, but they don't think that there's electricity in the body. But we are electrical beings. I mean, think about, you know, if you're having a heart attack, it'd be boom, electricity to get the body going again. So these are points that conduct more electricity. And again, the research is showing and we're seeing it in fMRI, so functional um, MRIs where you can look into the brain we can see how the brain lights up, for example, looking at a food that we crave. So they did a study uh, where they put people on an fMRI machine, pop up some cake, the brain lights up. It goes, I want that cake, right? I've got a craving for that cake. Do tapping on that craving, even though I'm craving this, even though I need these sweets, even though, you know, whatever was going on, run the machine again, that part of the brain doesn't light up. So it's turning off these centers of addictions, of cravings, of stress, of anxiety, these patterns that we've built up for so long. You know, I always think it's important to, when we look to change our lives, to look around and go, okay, let's think about phobias, for example. So there are people that are terrified of public speaking, right? And if you said to them, hey, let's imagine we're, we're post-COVID and there's an audience of 10,000 people in an auditorium and you say, go into the theater, stand up in the front and give a speech. There are people that just that idea, they would start sweating, their stomach would hurt, they would just feel terrible because they've conditioned their mind to go, an audience, 10,000 people looking at me is dangerous. Now, if I say that to you, you say, let's go, 10,000 people, it's been a while, you know, post COVID, I'm ready to go. So why does your brain react differently there than someone else's? And it's usually because of conditioned responses. Not always easy to track, sometimes it is, sometimes we remember, you know what? When I was in fifth grade, I got up in front of the class to read and I stumbled on a word and the whole class laughed at me. And think about that moment, an impressionable fifth grader, 10-year-old, 11-year-old that then decides, the brain goes, being in front of people is dangerous. Now, you might have had a different experience. You might have gotten in front of the class and you got some laughs. And then your brain encoded, ooh, being in front of people makes them laugh. This feels good. We are a series of patterns. We are a series of encoding. 
and what we can do with tapping if there's something that we want to release, if there's something that gets in the way, if there's something that feels like, you know what, this isn't who I am. This fear of public speaking is holding me back. This anxiety whenever I drive is holding me back. This stress at work is not bringing the best out of me. We can acknowledge that and make that decision to change. Have you seen, uh, have you ever had the chance to try this out on like high performance individuals as it were? You know, like, cause when, I'm, when you're talking about it there, Nick, I'm thinking, all right, we've made the connection with EDMR in that it's a physical therapy that almost is a, a hack into uh, in a neurosis or anxiety or addiction or whatever, rather than a sort of a conventional psychotherapeutic alter the narrative, understand the narrative type of approach. It's comparable, isn't it, to hypnosis? And I know that, you know, obviously hypnosis has been like used with sports teams is the example I'm thinking of. Uh, have you tried to tap in with like athletes? You can imagine people, you know, that condition, the yips with golfers and darts players when they can't release. Yeah, yeah. There was actually a public story about a catcher who had the yips and use tapping. This was probably five or six years ago. Uh, I've worked with some athletes. We have a sports performance series in the app, just a couple meditations and that's going up. But that's such a great example because when you see something like that, when we look at athletes, when they struggle, so the yips for people that don't know, it happens with golf and putting. It happens in weird ways for baseball players where they just, this catcher just throwing the ball back to the pitcher. So a meaningless task, really. It's not like the thick of the game, but something happened in his brain where it just like couldn't do it throwing it short, throwing it long, just like the simplest task. So we've seen that happen before. And again, those are conditioned experiences. What I see a lot with athletes with injury is that even if they feel like, all right, I've rehabbed and I feel good and I feel strong, there's still that voice in the back of their head that goes, oh, that left knee, you know, it's just like, and especially at the highest levels, professional athletes, they can't have anything being held back. Like if you held, hold back at all, if you're nervous, if you're anxious, that's when they get hurt. That's when they underperform. So yeah, tapping has been very effective because think about what we're doing there. So there's a couple of ways to approach it. Let's say an injury or let's say a mistake, right? Penalty shot, you know, someone goes to kick it, goes over the crossbar in the World Cup, God forbid, or in, you know, in some big game. Imagine what that does to that player's brain a memory that is locked into their body. I mean, it hurts watching it at home, right? You see someone miss a penalty and it just it just hurts because you go, oh, poor guy, what, what they have to feel. And imagine it counting. So their bodies are locked in. And we see this, you know, when you see in sports like, oh, they, you know, they made their last 12 penalty shots or they're, or they're on a hot streak or they're, you know, have the flow going. It's because they don't have those things stuck in their brain. So what we can do in that case you close your eyes and you go, okay, if, when I think about football, when I think about baseball, when I think about whatever's happening, what's the memory that comes up that I can't let go of? And people will feel it in their body. Athletes will feel it in their body. Oh, it's this when I underperformed. For actors, you know, you can think about a time when you were working on a scene and it just didn't come together. And maybe that's holding you back from your next scene. So you run the movie in your mind. So this applies to professional athletes. This applies to Normal people like us who maybe two weeks ago said something stupid or reacted in anger and the thing just keeps running there. We close our eyes, we run the movie, we're gonna do some tapping together, I know. And then we can send that calming signal to the amygdala. We keep running that movie until that charge is gone from it, until you can think about the event and go, huh, it's not there anymore. The same technique, which is why it's so powerful, applies to 
professional level athletes, normal people like me, and then to people who have suffered some of the worst traumas. So when you think about PTSD, soldiers and wars, what's happening there? Again, it's a brain overload. It's an experience over and over again where the body goes into fight, flight, or freeze mode. When the body says it's not safe, you get enough of those experiences without the right resources around you. And then next thing you know, you're in that state, you're in that PTSD, you're running those same patterns. So at the core of all this, if there's a pattern in your life, whether you're a football player or a baseball player or an actor or a singer or your husband or a wife and you don't like how you're reacting to your spouse or your parent and you don't like that initial reaction to your kids, you're trying to be a better parent, you're reading all the books, you're trying to be present, but boy, oh boy, when they do that, you are just triggered. When there are reactions and things in our lives that we don't want, number one, recognizing it. So the second you recognize it, you've made huge leaps and bounds. You go, this is something that I don't want to be me. I don't want to be part of who I am because this isn't who I am. We recognize it and then we can use this process to let it go. It's in the body. I, I really feel that. I feel like I have a regular therapy and I'm a member of support groups and I like, you know, therapeutic discourse, i.e., you know, telling the story, talking about it. But what I feel is that some things are in my, it's like it's not even in my brain. It's like it's in my heart or it's in my stomach. And I've noticed when you're doing this technique, you like to anatomically locate where the emotion or sensation is being felt. Yeah, it helps people get grounded, especially people who are in their head a lot. So if you've done a lot of therapy, if you've thought a lot about these things, well, it's just a bunch of thinking. So, uh, you know, let me think about this again. Let me think again about how I haven't forgiven my mother for what she did 20 years ago. Let me talk again about my dad. And that's all good. I mean, there's a place for therapy. There's a reason why therapists from around the world. I mean, one of the biggest supporters of this technique, the people I see time and again, oh, where'd you hear about our app? Oh, my therapist gave it to me because traditionally trained therapists are going, hey, I have all, all this great experience in cognitive behavioral therapy and Jungian therapy and exposure therapy. Now I bring this technique on top of it. It's not an either or. It's not, oh, well, you either do CBT or you do tapping. It's no, take the tools from CBT. Take everything you've learned and acknowledge and recognize the fact that we have these physical bodies that we need to calm, that we need to reset the brain, that we need to reset that physical experience. So all these somatic tools, so somatic is a word for body, sort of a group of therapies that are saying, let's take everything we've learned in the past and apply this on top of it. Make it so we have a resource that can help the brain and the body calm down and create change. How did you come across this technique? How did you become the, I guess, the, uh, you know, the figurehead of this technique? Well, uh, you know, our mutual friend, funny enough, uh, Tony Robbins, in 2003 or four, I'm not sure the exact date, I was just a participant at one of his events. And he had been into energy medicine and these tools for a while. And he did a really brief demonstration. So it was like, hey, if you want to change your mindset, calm your body down, here's some points, endpoints, blah, blah, blah. I did it for 10 minutes. We all did it. And I, I felt that difference in my body. I was like, huh. Something just settled a little more. So I went home, I uh, bought books about it, uh, read about it online, learned from Gary Craig, who's the originator of EFT, which is a form of tapping that I do today, and spent the years from 2003 and four to say 2007 just using it and sharing it with friends and family. 
you know, the running joke at the time was don't say anything is wrong around Nick because he's going to make you tap on it. It was just like, <laughs> you're scared of heights. All right, Russell, let's go find a mountain <laughs> because we're going to handle this. Uh, your shoulder hurts. Great. Let's try this. And that's what it was just as a human being helping another human being. I was just so passionate about that tool, about this tool. Uh, and then in 2007, really on a whim, on inspiration, I'm on day five of a green juice, green juice fast out in the Arizona desert. If you've done a fast before, this is when your brain starts to clear up after a couple of days of slogging through. And I was, I can remember so clearly where I was um, out in Arizona. And I said, you know, tapping works so well. EFT is so powerful. The Secret had just come out. If you remember that movie, why don't I make a movie about tapping? And with no filmmaking experience, I mean, no camera equipment, I put $40,000 on credit cards and credit lines bought all sorts of camera equipment that someone said, oh, this is what you need. Knew so little about it that I remember being in our my 500 square foot apartment in Bethel, Connecticut, next to where I live now with my younger sister, Jessica, who I enlisted, one of my best friends from high school, Nick Polizzi, opening up boxes and saying, is this a light? I mean, it looks like a light, but I've never seen a light shape like this. And the three of us just set out on a mission filming people around the country figuring out how to light shots. I mean, I can tell you if you watch the documentary film that we made in the end, I can say, well, that was an early shot because look at the lighting. It's just the <laughs> whole face, that whole face is in shadow. This is when we figured out how to light things and spent that year uh, from 2007 to 2008 making this documentary film. The film features 10 people from around the country who were facing all sorts of challenges. So in the movie, you meet John, who's a Vietnam veteran with 30 years of chronic back pain. We go to his house in Minneapolis. I really wanted to show like, this is a technique that works for real people who are not even into all this woo-woo stuff or alternative things. So we go to John's house, you see how he struggles to get up. You see the pain he's in. He shows us all the surgeries he's had. He shows us the medications he's taken for 30 years. And then he comes to this event. And then you see him the second morning of the, en the event, wake up pain-free for the first time in 30 years. That's the kind of result that obviously we were hoping for because I'd seen it in my personal life, but that's what we showed on film. What does that suggest to you about the nature of chronic pain? It suggests to me that uh, the brain is involved in chronic pain a lot more than we think, right? So, and I think that understanding is starting to come out. My second book, on tapping was the tapping solution for pain relief because I've seen extraordinary results with pain relief. If we think about John, when he came to the event, what did we do? We tapped on, we focused on some events from Vietnam. Like he was willing to go there and think about the things that he hadn't thought about in a long time, express the guilt that he wanted to express about what happened, the mistakes he made. It was a very cathartic experience for him to share that, to tap through the points. So we're doing that. We're thinking of these memories and then we're lessening the bur burden on the body. We're just helping the body relax. Chronic pain oftentimes is just a habit of the brain, something that gets stuck. You know, if we ask, like, if you cut your finger later today with a, a knife, a little cut, well, it heals, right? So you put a bandaid on it, mm. it's bleeding for a little while. Mm. Maybe it hurts for a couple of days and then it heals. You could even hurt your back and a week later it feels fine. So why does someone have an injury? and then be in pain 30 years later. It's not that it's 
the pain isn't real. It's not that they did anything wrong. It's that there is more to that pain than just what the body's doing, just that one event. And tapping helps get into that side of things. I suppose it's a consequence of a real materialistic and rationalistic uh, perspective of reality in that it even in its kind of, I don't know, domination over nature, assume like for forecloses the observable reality that the body does heal itself under certain circumstances. It's very interesting that to me because I vacillate between various poles in this territory of thinking no reality is a subjective construct it's conceptual there's much more even it's sitting in this room now Nick there's more you know at play that's passing through the filter of my imagination and my experience rather than a well objectively I'm a table I'm talking to my mate Nick there's the people here that work with me all of these all of these things that I look at are colored by subjective or con- ultimately conceptual experience that I'm projecting I mean I suppose if that you can um take the jump as as you have just done that that, that those concepts can be altered and that co- that concept could apply even to physical pain where you know like the the materialist perspective would be no that muscle is tightened or is damaged or that bone is a, a corroded or whatever it's going to be actually though like you said yeah you do have back pain for a week and then the body just goes da da you know like or, or or with the cut example it just zaps it away yeah, it's in a sense that we can construct an alter reality through deploying certain systems and disrupting certain patterns. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'm with you with vacillating between the magical and the mystical and uh, the beauty of the universe and what potentially we can create. Though it feels to me with the data that we are getting on tapping, with the scientific research studies that are looking at the brain, at MRI machines. It's not that much of a leap. We're not going, okay, you either believe that there's muscle damage and there's real pain, or you believe in this wacky technique where, you know, you really have to believe in the mystical for it to happen. I think we're learning enough about pain in the body that there's, there's a place in between. Yes. We're, we're leaning into more potential. We're leaning into the idea that, well, what if love could heal your back pain? What if forgiveness could heal your back pain? What if gratitude could heal your back pain? But even those constructs, Gratitude and love are things that are create certain states in the body that change the biochemistry of the body. So we're not saying, oh, well, love heals and it's just woo-woo out there. No, when you feel love and gratitude, your body changes. Biochemically, you are changed. There's just no doubt about that. This isn't us trying to be airy-fairy. It's just the reality. When you've been feeling anger and resentment and this tightness in your body for 30 years, it's going to manifest in your back, not healing. Uh Finally, relax. I mean, at the core of everything we're doing with tapping is we are looking to turn off that fight or flight or freeze response. We're looking to get out of this chronic anxiety, stress, depression, you know, whatever we're feeling and help the body relax. And the reality is that when the body relaxes, it heals again, like you're either in fight or flight mode or you're in healing and rest mode. So you know, with John, with 30 years of back pain, we allowed him to relax for a moment. The tapping allowed those muscles that maybe were clenched like this for so long because of that anger. I mean, look, if you're angry, right, like your fists are like this, so you can feel it, it, your body reacts to it. So if we can start moving people into that calm state, then all sorts of things happen. And it's why, you know, I get a, I get a, 
weekly email from our community person that runs our Facebook groups. And she does highlights of the results that people have had, the changes that they've shared in groups. And these are just people publicly sharing them in groups. There's 100 every week, and one is more astounding than the other. One is better than the other, to the point where, you know, there's just too many of them. And you go, well, this, this is too good to be true. But when people take that power back into their own hands, when they allow themselves to relax, when they allow themselves to acknowledge how they feel, you know, one of the powerful, I, I'm a big fan of meditation, do it almost every day. I'm a big fan of therapy. I think that tapping blends the two so beautifully. And one of the things that's really powerful about tapping that I know you've experienced is that we begin where we are. So we say, even though I'm anxious, I choose to relax now. Even though I'm so angry at John, I choose to acknowledge these feelings now, as opposed to some of the magical thinking that tends to happen. Some of the positive affirmation thinking that tends to happen is, well, you're angry. You don't want to be angry. So forgive John immediately or Rick or Susie or whoever's pissed you off and go to positive thoughts. Hey, just try saying an affirmation. I forgive them now. But if someone just wronged you, if you feel anger about something and I say to you three seconds later, Russell, come on, you know better. Forgive them. It's time to move into the light. Let it go. Your body is conditioned to respond. You are angry because something happened where you felt attacked, where you felt it was dangerous, where you felt unsafe. So this shift in between is, I think, what the world needs to say, no, I, I am angry. I'm angry about what happened. And we express that anger. And I've seen it time and again where people say, oh, I'm so angry. And they think through the event and then their body begins to relax. And then they shift into sadness and go, mm. I, I'm not actually angry. I'm just, I'm sad. I'm sad that they treated me this way, or I'm sad that I acted this way. And there's this perspective comes in. And then that sadness might move into forgiveness. I'm not ready to fully forgive them, but I, I'm open to it. I'm opening up my heart to it. And we can do this. You know, sometimes it takes people 20 years to forgive someone in their life, to let go, to, we can do this sometimes in minutes, sometimes in hours, sometimes in weeks, but we can speed up the process when we acknowledge these feelings and then when we calm our body down and then we can let go. If people find it easy to easier to accept that like changing states of mind can alter behavior. I think people accept that, that if you're in a state of gratitude or love or compassion, that will alter the way you treat the next people that you're interacting with. I think they find it harder to accept that it can influence in you know, a physical reality. But obviously every physical action undertaken by the body involves a relationship between consciousness and the physical world even if it's you know move mouth make these sounds either unconsciously or consciously signals are sent by volition and and involuntarily from you know the mind in inverted commas to the body so it certainly seems to me that it's uh, like something that ought be explored and as you say you're almost you're going straight to the results because you have the results and the data both anecdotally and somewhat more empirically through your app like that it's that it's 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 effective i feel like many things that uh operate within this kind of territory are regarded cynically because of a kind of institutionalized desire to maintain control over certain spaces like no 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 we don't just change the world 
for ourselves. That's a transactional process that's got appointed experts. In a way, it's a little bit like in certain religious history, the shift from you go to church, you listen to this person, the book's written in Latin or Greek, to it's translated into English and you can access God whenever you want, however you want. In, you know, it's like there are, it seems like, yeah, the orthodoxies that people like to maintain, you know, sometimes for like blunt economic reasons and sometimes for, I don't know, ideological reasons. Yeah, I mean, people live in their own camps. And I think, you know, um, so tapping was first discovered right around 1980 by Dr. Roger Callahan. So we're talking 40 years now that it's been out in some way. Now it's grown, obviously. And when you look and you go 40 years and if it's so effective, why haven't I heard about it? Right. For people listening like, OK, if it's that good, why haven't I heard about it before? And if I look at the history and the transitions from different people leading the way and sharing it, I think a mistake that was made within the community was, well, this works so well. I just saw John with 30 years of back pain get better, right? What else do you need to know? Doesn't everyone with 30 years of back pain, shouldn't they all do it now because we have this anecdotal report? And those are important and case studies are important. But what's happened in the last decade, and I think why tapping is growing to uh, be as popular as it is, is that we're taking the time to do the research. And I get it now. In the beginning, I was so passionate. I was just driven by passion. But I understand why you know Duke University Health Hospital is running a study on tapping. They're using our app and they're doing pre and post surgery because they're an institution. They have rules to follow and they have rules that are there. Some are dumb, I'm sure, but some are really good. And there are rules there that way, 84 different people don't come in and say, oh, you should do tapping. Oh, you should do Reiki. Oh, you should do essential oils. Oh, you should do meditation. All these things that are fabulous, but we need a way to look through things, especially when we look at that institutional level, right? We need to study them. We need to recognize what's working and not working. And then we need that to be a financial incentive for it. So the reason why hospitals potentially could begin adopting tapping and why Duke is studying it is because they are looking for better patient outcomes because better patient outcomes is something that is currently important under the infrastructure of hospitals, right? Of the system in America. It's why the NIH in the UK has explored it and looking at it because we go, all right, yes, we have financial incentives to make people feel better. Yes, we are people hopefully that care about people feeling better. And let's do it in a logical way so we can share it with those people that need it most. The other things that I think are happening in order for it to break through, it's why we made an app. It's why, um, you know, we just crossed 4.5 million completed sessions on the app. So we have this huge data set. As you know, when you use the app, you do zero to 10, you know, how anxious am I? It's a 10. Well, now it's a five. So we have that data and we can accumulate that data privately, of course, and say, there is a statistically significant reduction in stress and anxiety. I can tell you that in our five-day pain series, thousands of people finishing it, 49% decrease in pain from day one to day five. That's not me saying it anecdotally. That's not one person with just a placebo effect. That is a whole huge set of people having that result. And what's exciting about the app and you know other things that we're doing is that we can also replicate it. So part of the challenge in the past with tapping with other therapies, even with Reiki or essential oils, is that it relied on someone going into the hospital to do something. And there's a lot of variables there, right? So does that person well-trained in it? Are they caring and compassionate? Is there, can that person reach a thousand people? Probably not, right? So we're constrained 
by these budgetary things, whereas technology, hopefully, in theory, lets us share these messages in a financially viable way, and that way reach the people that need it most. That's fantastic. Thank you for making that so clear. You mentioned that we met through our mutual friend, the incomparable and great Tony Robbins. Can you tell me a bit more about that uh, encounter with him? Uh, like, uh, I, I thought I felt like it was where you maybe met him or got to know him at least. Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned, I, I went to one of Tony's events in 2003. I did all his events, his date with destiny. I went to Fiji for a life mastery. I was just a Tony fan. He really transformed my life. Um, helped me move from a place of thinking the world happens to me to taking responsibility for my thoughts and actions. And it seems simple, but that is what I think one of his biggest gifts to go, Hey, I can do something about the way mm -hmm. I feel. My past does not define me. I can create today and I can create my future. And, you know, I was just a, a fan for years. 2012, um, you know, I live in Newtown, Connecticut. So where I'm speaking to you from today, um, I grew up in Brookfield, Connecticut, which is just the town over, lived in New York City for a couple of years, California, found my way back home with my parents and siblings. So this is where I've been for the last decade. And a lot of people will recognize the name Newtown, Connecticut or Sandy Hook, Connecticut as the site of the Sandy Hook uh, school shooting. So 2012, I was living here. I remember it so clearly Friday morning, cold Friday morning, December 14th. And like the rest of the world, you started coming out. Oh, there's been a shooting. And you think, okay, well, hopefully it's not too bad, right? You always think of shooting. Hopefully not too many people died or hopefully nobody died. And the news started coming out and getting worse and worse and worse. Certainly, I don't need to tell you the end of that story. Um, one of the most horrific mass killings in our history, especially of these little kids, first graders. And uh, so, you know, once some of the shock wore off, I was here in town and I said, well, look, I, I, I have a tool that isn't gonna fix this situation, but I know can potentially help some people with the trauma, the anxiety, the trouble sleeping, um, the challenges that come with a situation like this. And, I'd put out a call to my email newsletter out and about town. Hey, we're here. We're in town. If you know someone that needs help, um, we're, we're here to help. And then we got volunteers that following Tuesday. So really, I mean, just five days afterwards, I was in that home with Scarlett Lewis, uh, who lost her son, Jesse. And Scarlett had known a little bit about tapping. She was a big fan of Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay. So she knew about Hay House. And she invited me into her home. And Dr. Lori Layden, who I flew in from California uh, to help her, right, for lack of a better, to, to show tapping with her. And I remember that night, I mean, it's, you know, Jesse's bedroom was there. I mean, this, this little boy had died, you know, five days earlier. Paintings of him were everywhere. Uh, nothing was changed in the house. And uh, it felt a sacredness to, to that space, to the tragedy, to the loss that had happened. And we helped Scarlett and her son, JT, who was Jesse's older brother, who I think was 13 at, at the time, just taught him the tapping. You know, with Scarlett, people say, oh, well, you know, her son died five days earlier. What did you tap on? Like, it's the most unimaginable grief possible. And of course, we didn't focus on that. It wasn't like, well, let's see if we can tap away this grief. It was, let's just see if we can calm down the body. Some of the feelings that you're feeling right now, some of the anger. Let's see if we can help you sleep. 
and let's give you this tool to just when you need it most, um, calm down your body. Scarlett and I have become really close friends. Uh, she wrote an incredible book called Healing, Nurturing Love, which is all about her journey. Um, either that morning or the day before, her son Jesse had written uh, on the chalkboard, Healing, Nurturing Love in their house. And when I walked in, I saw it there, you know, healing spelled wrong, nurturing love. Um, her son Jesse had given uh, the older son JT a note that said, remember to have fun. I mean, just a lot of crazy okay. little things. This, yeah, it is fucking hell. This is where the, mag the ma magical and mystical and the hope and uh, a greater meaning behind tragedy like this. Um, so I work with Scarlett. Next couple of years, she started the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation, uh, working on a curriculum in schools for choosing love. She is, you know, you hear about forgiveness and people say models of forgiveness. When you talk to her, when you hear her talk about Adam Lanza, the shooter, when you hear her talk about her forgiving her son's murderer, you know, people say things like that, but there's a, a depth of conviction. There's an energy that is just mind blowing. So, you know, look her up if you want, if you want to see forgiveness embodied, if you want to see forgiveness that feels true and real, um, that's Scarlet. So we worked together the next couple of years, helped a lot of other people in town um, continue to do so, doing trainings, teaching therapists in town, how to use tapping, uh, having group sessions, donating our sessions, working one-on-one -on -one with kids in the school, other parents. And, you know, long story short, uh, Tony came into town to uh, see if he could help and share some of his tools because that's just kind of the big hearted guy he is. And Scarlett invited me along. So, you know, in a little hotel um, meeting room a couple of miles from here, um, sitting next to Scarlett, I was introduced to Tony in person and uh, got to share with him what we had done together and what Scarlett and I had done together in the work in town. And we've since developed a nice friendship. He's actually an investor in the app. He's a partner in the app because he so believes in tapping and the work he's doing. And it was really a, a full circle moment that to me, you know, defines the work that we're doing, defines why we do what we do, um, and also defines that when you continue to keep the focus on just helping people out there, doing good work. You know, we were just on the ground. I mean, it was boots on the ground. There are people suffering here. There's a tool that can help. And, uh, you know, to have my mentor, Tony Robbins, come into town and acknowledge that work without asking for that acknowledgement, without looking for that public validation, uh, just felt wonderful and continues to, to guide us in the real mission of the work we're doing. Yeah, he's a phenomenal man. I mean, it can hardly really be overstated the, the way that he uh, conducts himself. And the, like, whenever I've asked him for any kind of help, like it's like a sort of deluge of help. It's like being, being punched to the ground with help. Oh yeah, you want some help? Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> it's like sort of amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. it. Yeah, and like you know, like he's obviously he's been on this podcast, and yeah, I've always say it's like standing in front of a waterfall, of like intense positivity. Like, what? Where is this coming from? Yeah, he is. You know, I remember after I first did his events. You know, people who attend Tony events and really get into it, 
you're you aspire to be Tony, right? That's just like the natural inclination to just be like, all right, I gotta I gotta be like Tony, you know. And um, you know, I'm five nine, he's six six, so that's already a struggle, you know, and trying to be the giant that he is. And for the first couple of years after attending his event. I remember feeling like I was not enough so often, <laughs> right? And eventually through this work, through this acknowledgement of, of letting go of the past of, you know, who I want to be in the world, I recognize I am not Tony Robbins. I don't want to be Tony Robbins. I never will be Tony Robbins. And that is fabulous. And it really came again, full circle. I was out his house a couple of years ago, um, you know, overlooking the water in Palm Beach, this gorgeous home, as you can imagine. And we were meeting about some of the work the foundation was doing and some things we could do together. And I'm sitting there talking and he's got his notepad and he is writing furiously. I mean, he is nonstop taking notes faster than I'm saying anything. So I'm thinking, and I got nothing. I, I don't have a notepad. And I'm looking around going, should I be taking notes here? Like what? Definitely. You're not probably equipped for the meeting. Should pretend with your hand, even just pretend. Oh, yeah, that, I like that one. Yeah, I've put this. I take off my phone. It was, I was not properly equipped, Russell, but it was to me a moment that goes, I'm not a big note taker. Tony is, I'm not, and that's okay. We're, we're all going to approach things differently. And I think that awareness of what are your skills? Who do you want to be in the world? How do you want to show up? Uh, do you want to work 14 hours a day or do you want to work four? And you can make all that go. That's part of that self-knowledge that unveiling of this process yeah i feel like that with as a general a principle actually nick with like mentorship like when i think like when i was very much cultivating my comedic you know learning to be a comedian i'm obviously emulating and uh, admiring and studying british comedian like peter cook prior from your country like uh you know billy connolly you know eddie izzard like lots of different stand-up comedians looking at them and like after a while, you recognize that what you love about any of those people is that they are themselves. It's their, it's their selfness that comes out, their you know, capital S selfness, that they're sort of stripped away of the artifices of I I imitation. And what you're left with is something pure. Like now, when it was like, yeah, with like with the first sort of occasion or so that I met Tony, I remember like the thing that most stays in my head is like, I got a dog, you know, and I live in the English countryside. So I'd like would find myself like walking the dog with a, like a Mac on, like with a hood up and it's like muddy and I'm wearing muddy boots. I'm thinking, this is not fucking good enough. Tony would not be doing this, just standing in a muddy field. I should be doing something worthwhile. No one's getting helped. This isn't a billion charity meals or building some sort of business. I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. I'm a failure. And yeah, well, that's, I'm surprised. How did you not mention Bill Hicks and your comedians that you were, um, Actually, yeah, he's a he. Yeah, he's a, he's a big one, both in terms of like, yeah, intensity, passion. Like, yeah, I adore him. You know, I adore I, I've him. done a deep. I've done a deep dive into your work since we've met, and uh, I have to throw in a plug here for all the listeners for all your audiobooks. Um, if any listener has not listened, whether it be recovery or revolution or just any of it, there the audiobooks. The writing is fabulous, but I just love the performance and delivery. So, um, oh, thank listen you. to recovery on audiobook today i'm in the middle of doing another one that's thank you very much you're the perfect guest you're not even focused on your own promo <laughs> i wish they would all behave as well as you <laughs>
Thanks, Nick. Thank you. I'm doing an Audible original for uh, Audible at the moment on like uh, on Revelation and uh, the discovery of the sacred in the everyday. And I suppose you know one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is like uh, I feel like you were mentored some by Louise Hay, and I know you know like uh, Bruce Lipton, and I feel like you were published by the same company that did David Hawkins, who I re- I really really like his books about letting go and power versus force. I'm reading some of that stuff at the moment uh, how did you come to be uh, how did you come to know that crowd if indeed a crowd they are no they are uh, so hay house is my publisher um in 2013 uh some people from there approached me i had dinner with reed tracy who's the president of hay house who's become a dear friend we talk almost weekly and you know we had heard our story about the movie and everything we'd done in the world and said you should write a book and you know, I mean, it's interesting looking back because I've written a lot of books since and the books have been New York Times bestsellers and it's all been fabulous journey. But when he said that to me in that moment, I said, I, I, I don't think so. My, I just didn't see a book in me. Um, everything was going great with the business and the movie and this, that and the other. Uh, but I think Reed saw something that I didn't necessarily see in myself. And he just called me, was um, one of the people who works with him, Patty, called me the next day with an offer. So it was just like, well, you said you didn't want to write a book, but we're just making you an offer. And uh, it was a nice monetary offer, which made me jump off the couch a little bit and go, okay, all right, I'll give this a shot. I'll write a book. And he's really, Hay House is the one that put me on stage. You know, I had done a little speaking before then, but they said, come to our events, come speak. Um, That's how I met Louise Hay, because she's, you know, obviously the founder of Hay House. We did some tapping together, which was extraordinary. Um, We filmed a video together that's still out there. She's since passed on. Um, But we did a video together where we, we tap together and uh, also Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer, that a lot of people will know and be fans of. Um, we spoke a lot of places together and then we traveled together for two weeks in Australia at a time when he was actually dealing with this horrible neck pain. So um, we were able to work together a lot. Um, I tapped with him to ease that neck pain, followed him on stage and just really, you know, became friends with Wayne and Louise just from sharing the stage with them and sharing my knowledge and gifts with them. And, uh, Again, really full circle. I mean, these are the people. Wayne is still in my ear. Louise is still in my ear. Wayne sadly passed on as well way too early. But um, I will listen to Wayne's audiobooks because they, even if I've heard them 10 times, there's an energy to them. They guide me in you know who I am in the world and the way I show up in the world. So all these incredible mentors have become friends again, I think, as a function of just doing the work and just focusing on helping people. These people are kind of almost, would you say, like saints, like if the like the concept of sainthood, meaning, I suppose, that you live by principles that are somewhat at odds with the principles of the time you find yourself living in, transcendent principles such as love, compassion, service, dedication, disciplehood. Like, you know, I don't know a great deal about either of those figures that you know intimately, but what I heard from our mutual friend Jeff Krasno about Wayne Dyer is like that that dude, he was the absolute real deal, like literally give away all his money. And like when people do stuff like that, that's when you feel like, oh, wow, man. Like, you know, that's where I'm sort of aspiring to. Yes. And that's the key. And the key is, uh, and I've heard some of these stories from Reed directly because Reed was really close to Wayne. They talked every day. Um, again, Reed Tracy, the president of Hay House, who published um, all of Wayne's you know, books for the second half of his career. Wayne gave pe- money to people all the time and never told anybody. You know, So he'd see something on HBO about some you know, destitute mother and everyone else would watch it passively 
and he would say, track this person down and help them. So it was like, I'm with you. It's like those stories, when you hear about them, you know, from back channels, when he's not saying it publicly, when he's donating a lot of money and he's doing it in specific ways to help people in need. I think that is one of the biggest signs of someone who we should really follow and listen to. I suppose the principle of sacrifice feels significant to me because of the natural, uh, well, whether it's not, it's natural, but the tendency towards selfishness, which feels like it's like underwritten biologically, survival, protection, competition, all these ideas that are culturally supported, let's face it, um, to an enormous degree in, in, in some cases in, at our time. When someone's at odds with that, to the advantage of others, it seems so powerful, you know, whether it's acts of heroism, where someone puts themselves first, or even giving of themselves, you know, not prioritizing, like, we can all talk again, but when people are willing to give up their time, to give up their money, to like, you know, that's when... You, you believe it. That's what I heard that Eric from quote, like, uh, you know, the priest preaches the word, the prophet is the word made flesh, that they just be, like they embody those principles. And that has such great resonance when people live that way, because there it is. It can be done. It can be done, you know. Yeah. And more today than ever before. I mean, how do you donate money and not post it on Instagram? Right. How do you do a good deed and, and not share it on Facebook? I, the, you know, those sides of us are sadly amplified through those platforms, the showing off of things like even if I do good, this is what I did. Or this is a documentation of my life and pictures or in post or whatever it is. And certainly there's a place for it. And I love all the good parts about social media. I love all the positive messages that can happen. Um, but it, it, it's challenging to be the best of who we are um, in this day and age. Nick, you uh, have personal experience of your generosity and kindness, notably around the donation you made to One Can Trust, a, a food bank that I did some volunteering for, and I'm proud to say that I'm now an ambassador for. Uh, they told me about a large donation you made to them after sort of seeing a video I did for them on YouTube. Um, I want to thank you for that. That was really, really decent of you, mate. And but then, if I was a real prophet, I would I would have made it and not told you I made it. Right? I don't think you did tell me. They told me. They did. So, yeah. I would have made. I would have made it anonymously. Anonymously, when you get to that level, oh man, it's not easy. I must give anonymously. It's a good cause. Ah, is it like they did, did you see? There's a good. There's a curve. There's, there's a, a curve of dudes Yeah, out. yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, and he's uh, oh anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone knows it's Ted Danson anyway. That yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Could you demo the technique for us on me? please let's do it and everyone watching at home as long as you're not driving a car um you can do it with us if you are pull over or save it for later um can i list the things that are wrong with me uh, yes need, please let's need. fix them all at once i mean this is some of the things i've thought about over the course of this conversation i know you've been tremendously helpful with me around like fear anxiety paranoia those kind of things it continues to be helpful and i'm now use the app to do that regularly uh like when those feelings come up so that is i would say you know pretty reg damned regular um but like over this course of this conversation like the stuff you've said about pain was interesting because like i've got some shoulder pain that i get uh, now and again like a you know and it's sort of it feels super real and i like when i throw stuff it hurts and it's i think it's exacerbated by jujitsu when i'm able to do jujitsu and i um that's one Another thing is fear of uh, like, you know, like I was trying to like when you're saying about being frightened of talking in front of people, of course, I would 
do be nervous you're out to talk in front of thousands of people but i've learned through experience to treat those feelings of fear as sort of a download of fuel i still get the feeling but i'd now accept acknowledge and uh you know like uh, metabolize those feelings differently but like say something like sport right other than uh jiu-jitsu and, and even then i feel pretty nervous when i'm doing that stuff like say football and dancing even like i feel like i carry a lot of baggage around those around those things i'm not sure which one to do though because i don't want to be so deep in the podcast that it's like i'm a trembling sobbing wreck you know so like it's also so specific that we're we're tapping on a football you know <laughs> fear you know what it's like well actually i'm fucking starving in a pandemic is what's happening to me yeah never mind that we'll deal with that later like, like last week i spoke to edith eager who's like a holocaust survivor and like psychotherapist she's magnificent but like when she was to when she sort of segued from the sort of her, her incredible sort of spiritual experiences uh, like evoked by surviving auschwitz and indeed enduring auschwitz like while there you know and then she, she transitioned and telling us about psychotherapy there's a bit where i started to want to go yeah, I've had some pretty tough times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and then I thought, yeah, I'm not going to be talking about some of my <laughs> laments to a person who was buried under a pile of bodies and plucked out by the invading ally forces. That was a good decision, Russell. Good decision. It, it, in retrospect, I could do with a pat on the back for that. Well, so we can right. do... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do some of your football stuff in the background because I know you've mentioned it to me before, but that's not going to affect the audience and what they can work on okay so right we're gonna we're gonna do multiple tracks so we can help everyone so again if you're not driving if it's safe to do so go ahead and just take a moment and close your eyes and take a gentle breath in and let it go so let's tune into how we feel if you if you're in chronic pain if you've been feeling pain for a long time you could isolate that as something that you want to work on with tapping, we always want to get clear on, okay, what is it that we're looking to release or let go of? So tune into any pain in your body. If you're anxious about something, what are you anxious about? Where do you feel it in your body? If you're angry, somebody said something to you five days ago, you just can't let it go. Whatever's in front of you. And then if something's happened in your past that you've struggled to let go of, so, Russell, for you, I want you to think, when you think about football, is there a memory? Is there a time when you were 10 years old and you missed a penalty kick? Is there just a grade where you were on a football team and you didn't like the experience? Yeah, there's quite a lot of memories, actually. And some of them are like, go so, like, what it is, I realize now, is it's such a route to affiliated challenges I'd probably have to cut some of it out of the podcast, which I don't do. So can I be vague in my responses in, instead of particular, even though I'm being specific in my thinking? Yes. And, yeah, you know, I'm glad you're sharing that and bringing that up because, it, again, when we're looking at the tool itself, this is one of the reasons why it's powerful. What matters is that you think about it. So even with a therapist, you know, maybe you go to a therapist and you don't want to share the thing that is going through your mind right now. Well, you don't have to because we're just looking to activate it in the brain this is an opportunity to think those shameful thoughts, to have those shameful memories because you're not sharing them with them with anyone else. They're there. You're acknowledging the feeling in order to let it go. 
So wherever you are at home, tune into that one thing that you want to focus on, the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm, the shameful memories, the feelings, the anger. And as you tune into this, give it a number of intensity on a scale of zero to 10. So if you're really angry at someone, it might be a 10. If you're anxious, a nine, an eight, a seven, just give it a number. If you're in pain, give that pain a number. I'm around seven. Seven. And tell me, Russell, what you're feeling in your body. Like sort of sadness behind the eyes. Mostly sadness behind the eyes. Yeah, I would say that's the sort of dominant feeling. Okay, so we've tuned into this emotion, whatever it is, this feeling in our bodies. We have a number, and let's do some tapping. We start by tapping on the side of the hand. If you're listening in the car, it's the outside of the hand below the pinky. You take four fingers of one hand, you tap on the other hand, whatever hand feels comfortable for you. We're tapping gently, we're sending that calming signal to the amygdala. And then repeat after me, either in your mind or out loud. Even though I have this feeling in my body. Even though I have this feeling in my body. It's safe to relax now. It's safe to relax now. And still on the side of the hand, even though I have all these old memories. Even though I have all these old memories. It's safe to feel them and let them go. It's safe to feel them and let them go. And still one more time on the side of the hand, even though part of me is holding on tight. Even though part of me is holding on tight. To these feelings. To these feelings. To these memories. To these memories. In order to stay safe. In order to stay safe. I choose to relax now. I choose to relax now. Now we'll tap through the points. I'll describe them the first time. The first point is the eyebrow point inside of the eyebrow where the hair ends and it meets the nose. You can take two fingers of one hand, the other hand, or both hands. The meridians run down both sides of the body. And as you tap gently, I want you to just tune into the thing that you're working on. So if you have pain in your body, just notice it. If you're anxious, think the anxious thoughts. If you're angry, run a movie about what happened. And Russell, for you, go back to that time. All these memories that are coming together, maybe one sticks out or maybe they're just in a big pile of memories. Whatever comes up is perfect. Just notice these memories and these feelings. Now moving to the next point, the side of the eye. It's not at the temple, right next to the eye on the bone. Again, two fingers of one hand, the other hand, or both hands. And just reconnect back to that memory, that feeling, the thing that happened, the pain in your body, be present to it. Under the eye. A lot of people, when we first start this process and we focus on the negative, think, well, I don't want to think these anxious thoughts or these negative thoughts. Why do we start on the negative? And as my dear departed friend, Louise Hay, that we spoke about earlier said, when I asked her the same question, she said, honey, if you want to clean a house, you have to see the dirt. We're taking a moment in time now to acknowledge these feelings. I was sad. I was ashamed. I was angry. or I am angry or I have this pain in my body. This is the truth of how I feel. This is my lived experience. I acknowledge it. And through that, I begin to let it go. Under the nose. 
right underneath the nose, two fingers. Run the movie. Feel that feeling. Russell, think about football and your experiences, everything you've struggled with. And just notice what comes up. Sometimes we'll start thinking about one thing and then think about something different. A specific event will come up, something someone said to you, or something that feels completely unrelated. You think it's about football, but you think about home life and what was happening then. Whatever comes up is perfect. Under the mouth, above the chin, below the lip, and that little crease in there. Tapping gently, feeling the feelings, breathing gently, running that movie. For the collarbone point, you can take all 10 fingers of both hands right below the two little bones of the collarbone. We tap and then we just tune back in. If you get distracted, if your mind wanders, if you're figuring out the points, that's okay. Just bring it back to that thing you want to release, that pain. When did that pain start? What's the emotion? If that pain had an emotion, what would it be? What are you most anxious about? Why is it not safe to relax and let go? What would it take to release this anger and to forgive yourself? Underneath the arm, it's three inches underneath the armpit, either side of the body, right on the bra line for women. Tapping gently, tuning in, letting go, feeling safe. The last point right at the crown of the head. Tapping gently. Thinking the thoughts, feeling the feelings, feeling safe. We'll do a couple more rounds and we move right back to the eyebrow. Breathing gently. And Russell, let me know with whatever safe to share what you're experiencing. Well, just some memories of like the sort of several sort of childhood experiences that are evidently the origin of these feelings and perhaps how they are tangentially expressed through other areas of my life and through other experiences you know but what as the sort of it's interesting to do it while tapping it's a sort of almost a disruption i suppose of the uh, lurid vividness of the experiences in their kind of rather raw form side of the eye well said and well explained and that's what often happens for people where something is stark and raw and in bright colors and painful and present and then it begins to fade away to let go so if it's safe to do so whatever you're working on that anxiety that pain that anger something that happened in the past just notice that with every tap it begins to move further and further away <sighs> under the eye maybe begin to ask yourself what would happen if I let this go? What would happen if I release this anxiety? What would happen if I release this anger? Is it safe to let it go? 
under the nose. Most of the time we hold on to these memories, these patterns, these feelings because we want to stay safe. If we remember the thing that happened to us in vivid detail with tons of pain and anger and shame, it won't happen again. That's what our body and mind believes under the mouth, but that's not the truth of it. The truth is it's safe to let them go. It's safe to keep the memory. We're not erasing anything here. It's, It's safe to keep the wisdom gleaned from these past experiences. And it's safe to let them go. Allow your body to do that now. Feeling safe, grounded and relaxed. Collarbone. Feeling safe, grounded and relaxed, letting go even more. underneath the arm, feeling safe, grounded and relaxed, releasing this pain, this anger, this anxiety, these memories, top of the head, feeling safe, letting go. And we'll do one more round. Repeat after me, either in your mind or out loud. It's safe to let this go. Safe to let this go. safe to relax I don't have to fix everything at once but I can open the door to healing it's time to heal this feeling safe grounded and strong in every cell of my body. Top of the head, right now. Right now. And just take a gentle breath in. You can stop tapping. And now tune in to how you feel. So we did a couple of rounds there and then we check in on our number. So the pain was a 10 and now it's a seven or a six or a five. You're anxious at an eight and it went to a two. You started working on one thing and something else came up completely. That is the process of tapping, unveiling, letting go. It's not a perfect process where things will get done in three rounds necessarily, especially if we're dealing with deep childhood trauma around football, Russell. But we begin to open the door and we begin to recognize that we have that power within to change our state. So you were at a seven in sadness, dear friend. Where are you now? I'd say like a three or a four, you know, three more. And it like, it sort of moved, it felt like it sort of moved the idea. And I felt like the the, the technique is effective for re, in a way, I suppose what I see is that yourself is editorialized. Your sense of yourself is editorialized. You tell yourself a story about yourself. You've been told a story about yourself and it is possible through various means and this one feels like an effective and quick one. It's possible to go and change that story. It's possible to disrupt those patterns. I'm so fascinated by what's happening biochemically and anatomically, but as experientially, subjectively, what it feels like happening is a kind of disruption and and a displacement of the link between the 
memory and the feelings associated with the memory. Beautifully said. Um, I couldn't have said it better. You know, it's interesting when you say memory and the fluidity. A lot of research has shown that, you know, our memory is not what we think it is, right? That you can have, you know, 20 witnesses to an event and have 20 different accounts. So we tend to think, well, I have this memory of this event and that is true. And I'm not saying that that event did or did not happen, but uh, that our memories can change. Our perception of events can change. And if we change them, especially some of the childhood stuff to a more empowering one, if we change, if we release, you know, the deepest pain, if we allow our body to think these thoughts and relax, then we can shape, you know, who we are and who we want to be in the world. And I mean, that's what you said beautifully, like, and I hope that everyone takes this from our conversation besides using tapping and using the technique. What if you could make a choice about who you want to be? What if you could make a choice about the things that you want to let go of? What if you could make a choice about being an anxious person or an angry person or a someone who procrastinates or someone who, you know, is doesn't do well in relationships or an addict? What if you could rewrite the story? Um, I think that's possible. And I think tapping makes it happen that much faster. I think you're right. The great uh, sort of 12 step speaker and I'd say thinker known as uh, Sandy Beach. He um, says like the older I get, the easier my childhood was or the better my childhood was. You know, it's the same childhood, but the perception alters over time. Nick, you've uh, very kindly offered a discount for the tapping solution to uh, listeners of Under the Skin that use a particular code or whatever. Uh, do you have the details now or should I put it in the sort of wrap up or the intro? You see, um, our main website is thetappingsolution.com. So it's thetappingsolution.com forward slash Russell, two S's, two L's. And um, that'll get you right to a place where you can download the app. You can download the app for free wherever you get it. And there's uh, there's a bunch of free meditations and then there's a premium membership. So if you want to unlock the 300 plus in there, we're doing a 50% off uh, promo for listeners of Under the Skin. You you begged me for a huge discount. I, I really balked at giving your listeners such a big discount, but we're making it happen. What a delivery. You've really, what a, another generous offer from the house of Nick Ortner. Thanks, ma'am. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we've got this has been an hour-long podcast I've really really enjoyed it there's been no mention of West Ham United's recent victory against West Bromwich Albion or I don't know what Spurs did in their last game Nick I don't I don't always look Spurs once again got off to an early start a one nothing lead and then you know (laughs) fell apart in the last 15 minutes and uh and let up a goal so um it's starting to look like uh, Manchester City to me Nick yeah, I'm debating some of uh, Mourinho's tactics, but that's not for me to say, really. <laughs> Whoever dare query him. All right, mate. Well, thank you. Yeah, for those that are that are curious, um, you know, I had an ex-girlfriend that was a big Tottenham fan. So I became a fan. It's one of the things that Russell and I connected with early on. The American listeners won't really know what we're talking about, but it's Premier League football and it uh, it probably affects our lives more than it should. Also, you're Argentinian in your heritage, right? So like uh, one of the Earth's great football nations. That is correct. I was born in Argentina. I lived there until I was almost eight years old. And my grandparents were British. So um, the 80s must have been confusing. It was very confusing. Very difficult time to be a Brit in Argentina. (laughs) Oh, Nick, thanks, man. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, I'll give you a shout 
later but i think it's been it's been really really lovely to talk to you as it always is thanks everyone thanks russell big pleasure love you brother love you and all mate cheers thanks nick Thank you for listening to Under the Skin with Nick Ortner. Let me know what you thought of it on Instagram. Tag me at Russell Brand or tweet me at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag Under the Skin. Sign up to my mailing list. It's important you do this at RussellBrand.com to gain exclusive mailing list only news, video content, and real access to this community. I send you uh, personalized videos where I address your problems. If you send us a question, we'll answer that question. You will get your email read. Even if I don't respond to it, I do tell you now in good faith as a mustachioed man that I will read it. So uh, join up to that russellbrand.com mailing list. Remember, you can ask me anything if you feel like it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast with Philippa Perry. Mm. We've got Adam Curtis coming up soon. Yep. That's always exciting. Jonathan Height. Jonathan Height. That's going to be good. We're learning. We're smashing our brains so full of knowledge. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this conversation with Nick, why don't you check out some of these other episodes? Eddie Stern, the yoga teacher, Biet Simkin, the breath expert, David Lynch, who is David Lynch. <laughs> and keep checking out my YouTube channel for new videos. Thank you for listening to Under the Skin from Luminary.